1: Ready? Okay. Give me a T. H. A. N. K. S. I could have done that longer, more drawn out, but to hell with it. For checking out the 28th edition of Scoring at the Movies, the Every Other Thursday analysis of sports films. For a little over a year, we've been gazing at sporty flicks, usually from our younger days, to see if we still get tingles watching them now. I guess this one doesn't really qualify. It's not our younger days so much. Well, I mean, it is. We were literally younger. 20 years ago. Oh, you're right. 19, anyway.
0: We're old, Ryan. We're old.
1: And we are spoiling fools, so you better know that right now. I'm the podcast host who will tell you that it is not a democracy, but a cheerocracy. Ryan Ellis. And here's my neighbor and buddy who thinks that Laurel is a pretty good place to rest. Chris D. Gregorio.
0: Thanks, Ryan. I'm going to force you to redo that cheer for me until you really nail it and you stop weeping in the midst of it. I hope you don't mind that I don't wear any undergarments underneath my podcasting skirt. I
1: expect you wouldn't.
0: Okay, good. Just make sure your fingers don't get anywhere they should go, all right?
1: I said two weeks ago, leading to this, we'd be well into the summer, not literally the summer, but well into June as we record this podcast, and it airs the end of June, and we'd be in shorts and shaking pom-poms. Well, I'm in shorts, and you're not, because it is still not that warm in this part of the world as we record this in mid-June.
0: It's true. I'm wearing my fleece hoodie as I ran into here out of the thunderstorm that's raging outside. you might hear
1: some thunder lightning, well, not lightning, you won't hear that, but you might hear thunder, folks, and if you do that's what that is
0: It might just be the gods being terribly angry that we're wasting our time talking about a movie like bring it on you ever think that like zeus is just really <laughs> pissed off right now what are you
1: doing well i made the suggestion to you a while ago maybe a month ago two-thirds jokingly and you said all right fun <laughs> <laughs> so do a cheerleading movie of all things but as you said a few weeks ago this is more athletic than cards or poker and we've already covered those sports yeah i think this has an argument wait cards is poker is it cards or pool i should have said
0: no, cheerleading is definitely a sport. At least within like the competitive sense that this movie sort of focuses on. We know very little about cheerleading as a sport.
1: Speak for yourself, sir. Okay.
0: Obviously, I know very little about cheerleading as a sport. When we get to the discussion about how the movie actually portrays a sport, as we usually touch on at some point other... Seemed okay to me. I think it actually probably was pretty damn good. As pretty impressive stunt terms. work, actually. Yeah. I was impressed with how jacked the guys on the Toros team were for a bunch of guys that are meant to be like 16, 17 years old. Now granted, this is Hollywood so most of
1: those actors are probably 35, but those guys (laughs) were buff. Well, if you made the movie now, every single guy would be buffer than they are in this because every single guy now, with some exceptions the character actors who don't have to look any better than I do, are always buff. That's true. That's just a default now. Okay, let's get this out of the way early because we always go, or at least last time, we went way into the podcast before. You opened your beer, so tell us what you're drinking over there. Important
0: thing. Today I'm going with the Punk Rock Pilsner, Ryan. This is a little homage to the Eliza Dushku. Oh,
1: I wonder uh, why Punk punk Punky.
0: Look, this movie, at least at points, reminded me so much of the late 90s, early aughts trend towards punk alt-rock, Blink-182 type stuff. And there's some songs that feature in it around that midpoint or latter stages of the movie that spoke to my youthful love for that kind of old punky music. So,
1: so bring that can open. Oh, it is already been oh. in Baraton. <laughs> <laughs> I brought it open, Ryan. And a nice sound effect with both the can and also the thunder going off behind us. I am drinking. Did I pick rye? I had rum yesterday, so rye. A little and CC in d- there, I think. Yeah, right, that's right. My favorite.
0: You're a little bit older than I am, so I don't know how this movie fit in your younger years. This came out in 2000, is that right? 2000. It was August
1: 25th, 2000, so not too far away from 19 years ago.
0: So I, especially when it was being filmed, presumably in 99-ish, I would have been a senior in high school myself, 18 years old, and I never saw this movie until we watched it for this podcast, so it clearly was not something on my radar at the time. But because it focuses on that high school social life slash cheerleading slash i guess to a certain degree popular music and all that kind of crap at the time it was a very nostalgic movie in a lot of respects it really brought home a lot of memories from my time in the, in the late cheerleading 90s. days my staring at cheerleaders oh, days bad, okay. <laughs> no but it's such a slice in time though at first, I was nostalgic, and I thought, oh, that's kind of cute. For about 20 minutes, you hear a little bit of the music, you see a little bit of the fashions, you hear some of the phrases that got thrown around, like you put the blank in whatever. And then that wears off, and then I'm just irritated for the rest of the movie. But right,
1: <laughs> So your thumb's down.
0: Yeah. We'll not go there just yet. Okay. It's such a movie of the late 90s. It does not hold up now. It really reinforced for me what a weird time the late 90s were. I guess the leads in this movie actually had relatively successful careers thereafter. You know, people like, obviously, Kirsten Dunn's Spider-Man. She exploded in her film career afterwards. Eliza Dushku had her share of troubles, but certainly her share of successes on
1: Mm -hmm. and off the big screen. Yeah, Buffy, and I think she was also in Dollhouse. Yeah. And then before this, she was in True Lies. She's Dana. Was she in True Lies? she's Arnold's daughter.
0: Okay. Oh, that's right. She was, yeah. And, of course, Gabrielle Union is hugely successful. Mm Mm-hmm. The male leads I'd never heard of before and have never heard of since. I I'm looking at
1: the character names or the actors' names, I should say, here, and I don't recognize almost any of them. I think I've heard Claire Kramer in a podcast recently, at least. Douglas Movies or something like that. Jesse Bradford, who hasn't been that big. He was in Swim Fan, which was a moderate success, I guess, in 2002. Yeah. A movie that people probably at least recognize. And he's a small part of Flags Are Our Fathers and W, the Bush movie, things like that. But the best thing he's ever done would be King of the Hill when he was a kid. A Soderbergh film back in 1993. I guess we're dealing with a post-Clueless... Uh, which we happened to record earlier this year. and I really? did. So what a weird year. I wouldn't have expected going into it. I'd be doing Clueless and bring it on. <laughs> you are
0: firmly researched for this movie. You have done your homework.
1: You've done your background.
0: You're ready to talk about some teenage angst. What was the other movie that came out around this time? She's All That? or whatever? Yes, like the... which I
1: just recently saw.
0: Oh my God. I <laughs> was
1: avoided it because I don't like Jennifer Love Hewitt, but she's not that big a part of it. It was on Netflix. I had an hour and a half or so to kill... Hour and 40, whatever it is. And I liked the movie more than I thought I would, but I don't even remember it now.
0: We've always known that you were a Prince head. <laughs> I like Pins- him
1: less than I like Jeff Love Hewitt, actually. He seems like a nice guy, but he's not a good actor. It must have been like a five-year
0: period where it seemed like these kinds of movies, or this tenor of movie was cropping up all over the place. Don't forget American Pie. Oh, of course, yeah. Movies where the female stars are always stunningly beautiful and way out of everyone's league, and all the male leads are... I guess they're generally attractive people, because you aren't getting these movies if you're not, but just come off as incredibly unlikable
1: all the time. You thought yet... Jesse Bradford qualified that as, didn't you? Oh, yeah. And you just said a few minutes ago before we started recording that he's punchable. His face is punchable. Just go
0: down the list of movies we just talked about, right? American Pie, the Jason Biggs character, is oh, yeah. as unlikable as you get. And not uh, an attractive man, actually. No. Freddie Prince Jr. is as unlikable as a man could be Who's his partner in crime so often? The guy that voices Shaggy
1: and was, for some reason... Matthew Lillard. Matthew Lillard, who they tried He is to... pretty likable, and he's actually a pretty talented actor. He's shown that more as the years have gone on. Really? but in The, the movie... Descendants. He's got a small role in that. He's okay. very good in that film. But in
0: his roles of the 90s, when he was playing... The, he's kind, of, the kind of douchey, Scream. annoying, best friend kind of character. Scream's
1: another movie that, in some ways, is tied to this. 13 Ghosts. Those kinds right? of movies. that is... as well.
0: It was such a weird casting era where you had all these incredibly talented and likable female stars and horribly... Okay, in the case of some of them, I guess like Matthew Laird, not untalented, but at least in this era,
1: seemingly horribly unlikable male co-leads. And this is also a women-led film. Young girls, actually, I should say, Dunst and Dushku, were teenagers. Dunst turned 17 during filming...
0: Was she that young, really? She
1: is now, this year, had a 30-year career going. She's been working since she was not even 8 years old. How old was she when she was in Interview with the Vampire? That's 94, so when it came out, she would have been 12. And that would probably have Probably 11 a, when they shot it.
0: One of her earlier... Her filmography
1: a... is unbelievable. I was just thinking about this because Bev and I had covered Spider-Man 2 earlier this week. Yeah. And we did Melancholy a few years ago. We'd done Eternal Sunshine. That was quite a few years ago we did that one. So I've seen a lot of Kirsten Dunst lately. and watching this movie, of course, too. And I also watched Spider-Man 3 because we did Spider-Man 2, so I wanted to see Spider-Man 3. And you wanted
0: to punish yourself a little bit for watching a good yeah. Spider-Man movie. I haven't watched... seen
1: Spider-Man 3 in a long time, yeah. so I thought I should bring myself back up to speed. But don't forget Little Women. She's an important part of that. Right. And even Jumanji. Wag the Dog, Bev, and I covered last oh, year. Yeah, so I've seen in... a ton of Kirsten Dunst. She's been in some great movies. She's been terrific in them, especially in Melancholia. She's pretty good in this. Mm-hmm. By the way, I didn't say yet. I wasn't really a fan. Didn't hate it, but it reminded me of some other things we've covered where I just didn't laugh at a movie that's supposed to be funny. There were one or two moments, I think, where I snickered a I little liked bit. I like the spirit and the sass, even the smarm of this movie, actually, to be honest with you. If it wasn't supposed to be funny, then I probably would have given it a thumbs up, but when the comedy doesn't execute the comedy, I can't. Well,
0: if there's a few things that I rely on you to bring to this podcast, Ryan, it is the spirit and the sass, so I would hope... And also
1: there's... the zazz.
0: <laughs> that goes without saying. That's just your general approach to life, is the zazz. You're right. This is nominally supposed to be a comedy. Now this speaks solely to my old manedness, I will grant you, and it's hard for us as forty-ish guys watching a cheerleading yes, movie. This movie's really not for us. Yeah, I felt a little bit gross and uncomfortable watching segments of this movie. I didn't know that the actors and actresses themselves were as young as Kirsten Dunst was when she and was, and Dushku, finished. who
1: was only eighteen during filming.
0: Oh God, I feel really uncomfortable.
1: <laughs> but they wear
0: such skimpy outfits Mm -hmm. all the time and up to and including the point when one of the characters has her little sister try out for the squad she's wearing her street clothes and it's not quite as skimpy. She's still showing a lot of skin. This is like a 12-year-old girl who's dancing around as somebody that has two younger sisters. It just really creeps me out to see that. But
1: do you think they exploited them in this movie? I don't think they did. No,
0: no, I don't think it was exploitative and I think it is true to cheerleading itself. To the best of my knowledge goes, that's pretty true to life as far as outfits go. Women tend to wear something pretty skimpy and the guys tend to wear sort of the long pants and sweaters even though they got the jacked arms, Ryan. You should really be showing off those rippling tries and buys, but... Yeah, I don't think it was exploitative. I just, as a guy... it felt weird watching it. Yeah, a bunch of teenage girls jumping around in short skirts. I felt like my wife was going to pop in at any point and yell at me. (laughs)
1: No, I swear, it's for the podcast. Our other woman-led film so far that we've done, Million Dollar Baby, was not exploitative with Hilary Swank's body, even though you see plenty of it because she is wearing shorts and tank tops a lot. But you don't see quite what you do in this movie. So I guess that's what we have to deal with. In the older sports movies, or maybe any sports movie, because if you're going to be true to the story, you have to be wearing skimpy clothes. And at least they didn't cast people who were 25 and 30 in the two main roles, like we just said. They couldn't even drink or drive yet. Well, maybe they could drive, but they couldn't drink yet. Even in Canada, where it's 19. I'm pretty sure Eliza Dushku was drinking her fill at this
0: point. Oh, in reality, okay, but she couldn't
1: legally drink.
0: No, and that was an interesting part of this movie. Is I don't think, and correct me if I'm wrong, because my brain does not want to retain any aspect of this movie. It's actively fighting to purge itself of the memory of it. So you did it.
1: dislike it, though. <laughs> I don't think I liked it. Okay, you made it sound like you weren't too sure earlier. Okay.
0: I was trying not to spoil it, Ryan. But I guess it's pretty clear at this point.
1: They don't actually show any of the typical high school partying scene in this, do they? I don't it, think so. Clueless avoids that, I think, for the most part, too. They go to a party at one point in that film, and... Alicia Silverstone's character, Cher, even says you do drugs or you drink at a party where you're supposed to, not just around school or every day.
0: Yeah, so you don't actually see any of that kind of social behavior. It's It's
1: cheerleading, cheerleading, cheerleading. That's their life.
0: I wonder if the studio wanted to lean away from that aspect of things because they were worried it might force an R rating
1: because I think it it played pretty close to that boundary as it is. Well, it could be that and also it may be a matter of the shot scenes like that and they got cut out. Just to make it more efficient. So the movie is really focused on what it is. The studio, by the way, was Universal and they did release it in August two thousand. The budget was not much more than eleven million dollars, but it made ninety million worldwide. Eleven million. That's how much it cost to make. Only eleven. I'm surprised they could put it together for eleven. Maybe line. Dunst cost a bunch of I don't know if she did. The director, Peyton Reed, wasn't expensive. Let's talk about him right now. Peyton Reed, not a name you think of in Blockbuster dumb. No. But here are some of the movies he's directed. Now, he is just part of the Marvel family. It's not really his project. But he took over Ant-Man when Edgar Wright left. Blockbuster. He directed Ant-Man and the Wasp. Also, Yes Man. So, man, 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 man. (laughs) And The Breakup. Which means four out of his six movies made $200 million or more adjusted for inflation. Not a Spielberg, but that's pretty good. Two-thirds of your movies are blockbusters adjusted for inflation. He's only directed six? Yep. I mentioned most of them just there. Breakup, Yes Man, Ant-Man. The sequel, A Man and the Wasp, and this. Usually, if you're that successful, you get a little bit more thrown your way, but
0: I don't know if he does other things, writes, produces, anything like that. So, if you had to sell me on watching this movie for, I don't know, a podcast,
1: how would you describe it to me, in a sentence or less? I'll recap what I said to you before, which is, Bring It On is on demand. <laughs> we could do that when it's also on Netflix. Okay. He actually took me up on that. I was only partially <laughs> serious. Okay, how would I actually sell it to you? Say you had right. okay. I already did that. Didn't I, I don't know a nutshell description of the movie, for instance. Well, I do have a nutshell. It's not my best of all time, but it's this: George W. Bush was a cheerleader.
0: All right, moving on. <laughs> right. There's <That's> a, <laughs> <to laughs> <not, laughs> a reason not to watch Bring It On. Actually, not
1: a reason to watch Bring It On. Was W a cheerleader? Yeah. Is that true? Apparently, because he wasn't a football player. Wow. And that's one thing about this movie that's actually pretty clever. That was almost funny, very close to being funny, not quite. When the football team comes out, crickets, but the cheerleaders, I guess, come out first, yeah. rock a standing ovation because that's all it's about. And I don't think they make that all that clear, that the cheerleaders are really the stars of the school and not the football team. But that is very clear when you actually see one of the games. And of course, the team gets waxed. And yeah. a guy, one of the cheerleaders, gets to talk back to one of the players, dude, you just lost. And lost badly. Oh, yeah, right. 42 nothing. Did you notice
0: during that game, what was the school's name? Rancho Carne? Like?
1: Rancho Carn or Carne, yes. C-A-R-N-E, hi. So is that Spanish for Meat Ranch? Yes. It says that online, it is, yeah. Is it? Meat Ranch Toros. They okay. shot it and set it also in San Diego, and they shot it at San Diego State University for the school scenes.
0: Yeah, I guess you just stage it in a particular way, you don't
1: really notice. Good idea to shoot a movie in San Diego, though, because as good as the weather is in L.A., it's even better in San Diego.
0: Oh, it's beautiful.
1: I want to backtrack to something else, by the way, unrelated to this movie, which I should have done off the top. We haven't done this in a long time, either. Runs, hits, and errors.
0: Because well, we are always perfect in our assessment <laughs> and description. <laughs> Sometimes I put
1: them on the various pages <laughs> in the website. But somebody corrected me about this a while ago, so I finally should get back to this. Because, of course, with our two weeks between podcasts, this has been over a month now. But Michael Jordan, in Space Jam, we talked about this a lot, was picked second overall in the 84 draft. Not true. He was picked third overall. So Hakeem Olajuwon was number one. That's a good choice. Pretty hard to argue with that. Also a Hall of Fame caliber player. Oh, yeah. Although Michael Jordan with the Rockets, they would have been even better than they were. But they did win two championships with Olajuwon. But a guy named Sam Bowie, I think it's pronounced Bowie or Bowie, I think it's Bowie. I think it's Bowie. Went ahead of him. I know that player, Sam. Did we talk about Jordan being drafted the number
0: two? I didn't realize we That's talked...
1: what we said. I thought it was second. I always thought that was the whole controversy, but it was even worse than that. It was third. Hmm. Back to it on, though. Let's do the numbers. You may not like this movie, and I was that mild thumbs down, because it isn't really for me, and it wasn't funny. But the critics were not that against it. 63%, so that it does have a fresh tomato. 5.97 out of 10, which actually is less than 60, but that's the way that kind of stuff works. And 66% of audiences. And it was 37th at the 2000 U.S. box office, which isn't terrible. The Grinch was number one, and Bev and I covered Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon a few months ago. That was number 12. In Japan, it's simply known as, cheers! With an exclamation mark. Where everybody knows Kirsten Dunst's name. <laughs> that
0: would have been a great mashup bit if they called it Cheers Here and then there was an SNL skit where all the Cheers crew had to have a <laughs> cheering competition against the folks from Rancho Carne High School and see who was Gimme an
1: N, gimme an O, gimme an R, gimme an M Norm
0: <laughs> Yeah. If I could do a good cliff impression right now, this would be a perfect place to Nammy. Ins- no Nanny, <laughs> <Don't> <laughs> nanny. <laughs> Insert a little trivial minutia that is way off base about cheerleading as being a sport that was invented by the Spaniard invaders of the 1600s in order to climb the Peruvian mountains, (laughs) formed pyramids, and cheered each other on while doing
1: so. This podcast is being ruined by these panting dogs. One more stat I want to get out of the way is this movie had five direct-to-video sequels. Dunst was not in any of them, but the producers from the first one did do Bring It On Again. And I looked online, and even though they're direct-to-video sequels, there are some Rotten Tomatoes numbers. It really shows up as audience numbers for the most part. Maybe there aren't that many reviews, but most of them did as well as this one did from the audiences, at least, which surprised me. I've never seen any of them. I have no interest in seeing any of them. Even Why after
0: watching this, you're not At driven. least this has
1: the allure of Kristen Dunst and douche Q and some talented yeah. people involved.
0: There's so few cheerleading-centric movies, at least that I'm aware of, in franchises, right? If somebody put out a baseball movie, for instance... And I think there's a weird low-budget one that I had no idea existed coming out starring Joe Manganiello in the near future called Bottom of the Ninth about a guy that gets arrested just before he's about to be drafted by the Yankees, goes to the prison and comes out 10 years later and is making an unlikely run back to the majors kind of thing. If those kinds of obscure baseball movies come out, I might just watch it because I enjoy baseball. I think there's such a following of cheerleading in the U.S., or at least the southern part of the U.S., that I'm sure this franchise made a lot of money just on people watching it, regardless of the quality of the sequels alone. Whatever my feelings might be about this movie, I think it's at least a competently made movie for what it's trying to do. It's nice to look
1: at. It's pretty, and of course the actors are pretty, but I mean, the actual cinematography is good looking and whatnot. It's bright and sunny.
0: Even in the absence of that, I'm pretty sure it would have made enough money to be profitable off a small budget and given the popularity of the sports. And it was. It was, yeah. That's probably what keeps it going.
1: Well, one of the first things in the movie, if not the first thing, is Torrance's, that's her name, of course, Kirsten Dunst is Torrance Shipman. She has a nightmare about being naked at school after an opening cheering session. I think Dunst has got a bodysuit on. Unless she just has a tan around her midsection. Sorry, it doesn't have a tan around her midsection. It does everywhere else because it looked like her skin was different when you see her from behind. Dunst has been naked in movies before. But, of course, like you said, this movie is not of an R rating and they don't want one by showing her. And you don't need to. The whole point is it's embarrassment. Oh, my God, I'm naked at school. We don't need to see the actual evidence of that.
0: (laughs) Yeah, don't need to see the nitty-gritty, Ryan.
1: No. And then later on, when we do meet Dushku's character, there's an audition montage that's been done in a thousand movies... All the people are terrible until you find The One, who wows you so much, and Missy Pantone, who is Elijah Dushku, does a great job with her <laughs> cheer. <laughs> Actually, the thing about this movie that's probably best of all things is her with Dunst. Dushku and Dunst yeah. make a pretty good team, and if they'd made some other movie together outside of this, because you really couldn't make a sequel to this with these actors. Well, yeah, I guess you could have, but it would have been unnecessary.
0: No, you go to college, Ryan. And college cheerleading? College cheerleading, yeah.
1: Well, I guess they have cheerleaders for the college sports, don't they, so? It's it. like, you could do that. Okay. Just like they
0: did with Saved by the Bell to great success, All right, yeah. the
1: college years. Come on. You know, incidentally, I was happening to read an article a few days ago about cheerleaders for the pro sports teams, I guess, especially the NFL. Maybe other sports, basketball, I guess, has it too, but definitely football is the one you think of that has cheerleaders in pro sports. And they are paid next to nothing. They have no real rights. And if I can find the article on Cracked, I should link to it so you can read for yourself, audience. But the kinds of things they're restricted from, they can't date players. If players like something they put on Instagram or that kind of thing, then they have to unfollow. I don't know how Instagram works, but you can't let that happen. And it's not like they're paid well. No. So these people that love this so much, they don't really talk about going on to do this as a career, but you can't really make a career out of cheerleading, which is kind of a sad real life element to what is supposed to be a sunny comedy. This plays into my ignorance of things a little bit, but cheerleading as an
0: aspect of sport as far as I'm aware, historically, anyway, I think it is changing a little bit as far as the culture and the way that cheerleaders and professional sports teams are being treated, I hope. I think specifically with respect to the Dallas Cowboys and some of the treatment of... The them. most
1: famous cheerleaders. Yeah.
0: That kind of cheerleading and the kind of cheerleading that happens in competition are seemingly two different beasts entirely. Sideline cheerleading is a lot of rah-rah, boom let let's-go team kind of and stuff. And use your pom-poms. And use your pom-poms. Which I don't think
1: they use much in this movie. I guess they have them, but it's not a focal point.
0: You basically only see them, really, when Kirsten Dunst is covering herself up in her dream. Aside from oh, okay, that, right. I don't know if you see another pom You pom-pom. have
1: more cheer hands, cheer fingers. Cheer fingers, that's <laughs> the money, that's the gold can't be holding a pom-pom you need cheer fingers to be working for you. Exactly. But in competition, it's a lot of the gymnastics-y type yeah. stuff, right? Like Which is the... what Douche-Q's character wants to do, is be on the gym team, yeah, be a gymnast, but they don't have that there.
0: Exactly. So I think they're two different beasts, and I don't know if there's any money, even in the U.S., for the competitions as far as pursuing it post-even college, but I think it's hard to compare the two things. And even in the movie, they talk about the stuff they do at the games is just practice for them. It's warm-up, and they don't really consider that what they do as cheerleaders. The
1: actual what do they call that going to state
0: that kind of thing the
1: regionals
0: that's the whole point they really emphasize the athleticism of the thing and the competition the thing that gets Missy Pantone or I believe it's pronounced Pantone I think in this movie
1: (laughs) Pantone Pantone
0: my people what gets her noticed is her crazy gymnastic skills and her backflips and all that kind of crap. After the tryout, do we ever see her character do anything gymnastically challenging? Probably not. I don't think we do. We see her doing a lot of practicing reluctantly, and then she buys in ultimately into like the Sis cheering stuff and let's
1: go. And, and becomes and real friends with Dunst. Like I yeah. said, they're a good team together.
0: I was expecting because of that setup. Here's the crazy talented gymnast joining the team. That at the end of it all, at the final competition, she would play a pivotal role in doing something crazy to win them the title. At no point does she do anything that requires her gymnastic skills. Fair point, yeah.
1: I was also reading that a lot of the stunts the teams perform in this movie are illegal in high school because of the danger. Oh, I believe it. One of the characters gets hurt early on, which is why Missy can run for the team, why they need somebody to replace that spot. Yeah. But that girl, what looks to be landing on her face, but in the end she has a broken leg. They put her, it's funny because when she falls, it looks like from the camera's point of view, she's going to break her neck. Yeah. And then they show her in a neck brace, which maybe you would do on site, And then you realize that's not the problem later on. Oh, it's the broken leg after all, doc. I guess the doctor said say that to her, wouldn't he? Do you miss the scene where the EMTs come on site and the injured cheerleaders
0: lying on the ground with bones protruding in three places from her leg and they put a neck brace on her and say, I think it's a broken neck, let's go. And then the that doctor, would be
1: sick, but that would actually be pretty funny, wouldn't the it? The doctor looks at them at the hospital, you idiots! But anyway, you can't do the things they do in this movie because of the danger. And then, of course, there's a rivalry where the other team, the black inner city team, is doing even more crazy things than our heroes are. And unintentionally, actually, well, it's not unintentional. Torrance didn't mean to do this. Torrance is actually a pretty good person. She tries to do the right thing when it comes to finding out that the black team can't go to nationals. She wants her dad to give the money, and she gets a check from him to support the team. But then Gabrielle Union's character, Isis, says no. And then the Oprah character. Wait, what? What did she say, Ryan? That <laughs> was a little weird, wasn't it? Was no. Like, no. No. <laughs> I was thinking, actually, when Bob Cole, during the 1998 Winter Olympics, when Canada lost the opportunity to go to the gold medal game, we had to score a goal to keep on. We rather lost a shootout. But he's got to score. That's all. <laughs> then he misses. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> if I'm exaggerating that, I don't care. That's what it's always going to be to me. I can't find the clip online to confirm. So anyway, the Oprah character, she's not actually Oprah, but she raises the money for them. And that's a nice touch, that Torrance tries to do the right thing. She does the right thing, but then the check gets ripped up on her. And the black characters are self-sufficient. I did not remember at all that it is the inner city, the black kids and the Hispanics. I think that's pretty much all they have on their team. And the Rancho Carne team, of course, has plenty of white people, but they also have quite a few Asians. So both teams are pretty diverse. So you do have this kind of clash, but it isn't really about that. It isn't a race movie per se, but it's obviously something that's underneath all the time. We talked about this issue now, a bit Mm -hmm. of a sidebar on this. Two weeks ago, we talked a lot of how Murderball had some offensive phrases yeah. now this again just like Murderball this movie is a long time ago this is even longer ago than Murderball was but the choreographer says retarded yeah. and there are a few casual fags thrown around that was
0: the one that blew the drink out of my head And
1: neither one of those words were so taboo in society back then so just like I said Murderball yeah. we have to cut the movie that kind of slack and at least one of the cheerleaders the guys is gay but that's
0: part of what threw me off with that so much
1: is like you mentioned this is 20 years ago
0: now it's so a different era One of the lead characters on the cheer squad is that gay guy who is shredded. I think it's when he first meets Eliza Dushku's character, right? She's the one that is talking like, you must get all the girls. And he says something like, oh, no, my lifestyle is, I think he says, controversial. And then her response is, oh, you speak fag or something? What the hell? And then everyone's like, okay, she said that. On we go. And somebody else used that word later on, too. Yeah, it was just a little bit mind-blowing. But then to the movie's credit... You always get the sense that that character is gay. They Hmm. don't really fixate on it, but you know, right? He has a meet
1: cue with a boy later on. He does, and that's
0: what was heartening to me, is that despite this insensitivity that was displayed up to that point in some scenes, yeah, he meets another male cheerleader at, I guess it's the finals. The The Nationals. The Nationals. It's not really commented on, but it's just that boy meets boy moment in a nice way, and then on you go, and okay. They gave him that, and they didn't really slam on him and pigeonhole him as the gay character that gets derided a little bit. At least he has his moment. It was an inconsistent handling of the whole thing.
1: It's not cool, but at least it's women, at least the one-time girls, that are saying it. It's a little more cool, I guess, when it's not us, straight white men, that are saying offensive things. Which is what it was, a murder ball. Straight white men saying... The things they said about mentally challenged people.
0: Yeah, that's true. The it, Special Olympics. It is it's funny that it somehow feels not quite as bad coming out of the mouths of even young women. Because
1: they're not the ones that dominate culture. and. I guess that's true. use these words so negatively. It's like when black people use the N-word. I don't think it's cool. I don't like that they use it either. But it's also their right to do it way more than us. Yeah, so yeah. when they do it, it's different. Same when women say things, or girls, that boys are not saying, at least.
0: The other one that really threw me off was the straight male lead on the cheer squad whose name I will never remember. He's just one of like the faceless names in this movie to me. He says something to a colleague about, oh, it's not my fault that the girl that he holds up, I guess, on the pyramid doesn't wear anything under her cheer skirt or something like that. So it's not my fault that my fingers slip up places. It's very much your fault. It's very much your fault. Hashtag me too. is just like flashing in the back mm-hmm. of my brain. But... It came out of nowhere, the comment, and it was so wildly inappropriate and sexual assaulty that I think there was a scene that existed in this movie where that happened, but that scene got cut out. So it's all the more jarring when oh. you get no context to why he's saying this, and all of a sudden he's just. Out of the blue... Volunteering like, this information. Volunteering, hey, I sexually assaulted this girl because she was not well enough protected from me. the, like, opportunity, the, hell? Was,
1: the opportunity was there. Why wouldn't I?
0: Exactly. And that's it, not cool. The fact that it did come out of the mouth of a young
1: white male also made it all the worst to me. Right. <laughs> Ugh. Cringe-inducing. Well, speaking of the males in the movie, there aren't a ton of them, but Cliff, who's Jesse Bradford's character, you didn't like him all that much. No, wanted to punch him
0: from the first moment he showed up okay. on the scene, and that inclination never abated for the entire movie.
1: We do have the flirtation through toothbrushing. And a Hollywood staple during that because there's no froth on either of their mouths. But you can't have Kirsten Dunst and Jesse Bradford with froth everywhere when they're brushing their teeth. <laughs> That's true. And
0: he did not brush his teeth for the dentist-recommended two minutes. Not even <laughs> close to it. At least Kristen Dunst was spending a little bit more time in there. Digging in there. Yeah, digging in there, making sure that screen white smile is maintained. Well, she,
1: like me, does not have the greatest teeth in the world either, so she needs to do a little extra work to make sure they're as good as they can be. Maybe that
0: explains why Jesse Bradford's career did not maintain much momentum beyond this point in time, because he let his dental hygiene go, and that smile was not castable
1: at a certain point. Did you buy their romance? Because at the end, of course, they get back together, but the movie is a pretty dark point where... The team is not doing very well. They've unintentionally, again, unintentionally because somebody had copied the routine and Torrance didn't know. So unintentionally, from her standpoint, copied the Clover's routine, the black kids. So things are dark that way. She's offended Cliff unintentionally because the boyfriend, her ex-boyfriend now at this point. I do like the blocking, the way they set the camera up when he's on the phone and the girl's with him and he's talking to her on the phone. Now, I've seen so many movies, and again, I saw this, but I didn't remember this, but I've seen enough movies. I knew where that was going. Maybe everyone knows where that's going, but I can't expect that everyone knows these kinds of things We watch thousands of movies like I have. But the blocking of it was smart, because if you didn't see it coming, it would be the whole sort of, That cheating bastard! Because the girl's in the bed with them, but you never actually see it until they want you to see that. Cliff is upset. He sees the two of them together, not really even doing it. Well, he kisses or something, doesn't he? But he's being unreasonable. He's being the flighty 30s dame, he might say. <laughs> He's the besmirched lady in this case. It's role reversal. But then you've got female leads rather than male leads. Maybe that's why it's like that. Well, I'm going to stomp off in a huff. How about have a conversation? Instead of weeks go by, or maybe it's even months, before he's told by his sister, you know, she really likes you. Really? Oh, okay, I was wrong. Everything's fine. (laughs) (laughs) That's the failing of so
0: many movies, especially this era of movie, is conversations are not really something that happen in a meaningful way between characters that doesn't otherwise serve to drive the plot forward. I had no feelings whatsoever about the quote-unquote romance between the two of them, mostly because I found Jesse Bradford's character so unappealing and so unpleasant. He just came off as a smarmy ass, the self-righteous, holier-than-thou, smarter-than-everyone-around-me. I think what bugs me about this is that's an inclination I have to look around and say, "Uh, you guys are kind of stupid for doing whatever it is you're doing if I don't myself enjoy that. I recognize that's a really unpleasant character trait to have, and... I try to repress it as much as possible. So when I see it on the screen portrayed that way, it really pisses me off. Except
1: he's had half the life you've had to come to that realization.
0: No, I know that. Whether or not I had that realization about myself, I still think it's an unattractive quality in somebody else. And that's pretty much all he does all the time. And the thing that wins Kirsten Dunst over is watching him flail around playing the guitar, kind of Marty McFly style, in his bedroom in his boxer shorts when she's staying over with Eliza Dushku's character. Why? He's playing guitar badly and flailing about but up until that point you've had no real meaningful interactions with him but sir
1: he's attractive He's not. <laughs> well, in Hollywood speak, they would probably say back in 2000, Jesse Bradford was an attractive leading man type. He is very much like a Matthew Lillardy kind of
0: looking guy. No, Matthew me.
1: Lillard is a better actor, but... No, no, Jesse looking Bradford's... guy. No, but Jesse Bradford's better looking, I would say. You and... think?
0: Oh, yeah. At this point in time, he reminds me of him. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's the stupid necklace he's wearing. Maybe it's his lank, greasy hair. Wearing a know. lot
1: of Peyton Reed's cool shirts, too. I was reading he wore a lot of Peyton Reed, the director's shirts. Speaking
0: of the bands, I don't know if this is intentional or not, but you have the Jesse Bradford Cliff Pantone character who's meant to be not the nice guy, but the better option for Kirsten Dunst.
1: He's meant to be the nice guy whether you think so or not. I refuse to admit to be... that, Ryan. Refuse. Okay.
0: So you've got him and he's the Culture Club fan. What's the t-shirt he's wearing when... I don't remember, but it, I read later that the he's The Clash. Wearing... Sorry, not Culture Club. Okay, the Cl- he's know. wearing The Clash and he's got the Ramon stuff up in his bedroom. So he's, he's punk. okay? He's right. a punk guy. He's the old school rock guy. And then when you cut to the scenes with Kirsten Dunst's boyfriend who's now gone away to college just cheating on her, when the camera pans out from that initial shot of him on the phone with Kirsten Dunst and you see him in bed with whoever that is he's cheating with, there's posters on his wall and he's listening to the Matchbox 20... <laughs> what the hell's the other band? It was very much a 90s alt-rocky... The lame like, band? Slightly douchey lame okay. band. Well, that fits his character then. I guess. Yeah, I'm like they were really assigning... Music to the character types of the actors, which I thought was a little
1: bit amusing to me, actually. The writer, incidentally, Jessica Bendinger, I guess is how you say her name, or Bendinger, she's only written five screenplays. First Daughter and Stick It stand out. She directed Stick It also. But this is something you think that would have given her more of a career, I guess. If I was sitting with Bevra now, she'd say, Yeah, but she's a woman, so she was held back by Hollywood for that. Maybe that's true. But I think our screenplay, for what it's supposed to be, for the audience that this movie is for, was fine. Not
0: for us. I just wish it had been funnier. Were there any moments that stick out to you as being meant to be funny that you didn't?
1: Definitely the part where the cheerleaders get cheered by the audience, by the crowd, but not the football team. Forgetting the fact the football team loses badly just when they first come out. It's like Daffy Duck and Bugs Bunny, or Daffy Duck versus everybody in Space Jam. (laughs) The <laughs> one thing I thought was almost funny in that movie, when he gets crickets, but everyone else gets this raucous ovation.
0: Okay, that was a cute moment. You're right. It wasn't funny, but it was kind of And cute. Peyton
1: Reed's clearly a talented enough comedy director. People loved The Breakup. I wasn't a huge fan, but a lot of people thought that was really funny. There's a lot of great comedy in the Ant-Man movies, the two he's directed. And Yes Man, which I saw not that long ago, a couple months ago, isn't one of Jim Carrey's greatest comedies, but it's got some laughs in it. It kind of holds up. I watched that recently. You're right. It's not his best
0: thing. That's the Zoe Deschanel movie, is that right? She's the lead with him. But it's cute. It's got heart. Well, that's really true
1: of all the Peyton Reach movies, I would say. He might be one of the better directors we've actually covered so far, or one of the more reputable ones. Hoosiers, (laughs) David Anspaugh, I think is the guy that directed that movie, did Rudy, which we will do at some point probably this year. I don't think he did much more than those two movies. So those movies were good by a lot of people's standards. I like Hoosiers a lot more than Rudy. But you listen to Reed's resume, it's one of the better ones we've had. Phil Robinson, who did Field of Dreams, hasn't directed that many good movies. So it's funny, the guy that directed this movie has a better resume than most other directors in our 28 movies we've done now.
0: I hadn't really thought about the directors all that much up until this point, at least as far as their careers go. Most of the
1: classic directors do not do sports movies.
0: Right. We're seeing a trend where sports movies are assigned to... Maybe not B-list. Up-and-comers, or, up-and-comers or maybe though, yeah. nobody's.
1: Scorsese, of course, we've covered because we did Color of Money. Yes. But that's not really a true sports movie. And he's one of the rare great directors who ever did that's a right. sports film. But in a way, this is a typical sports film because there's a big buildup to the big game. There's tension and butterflies. One character pukes. That's supposed to be funny, of course, because people think puking is funny. That's the one thing of all scatological stuff that I really find the least likable. And it is isn't. so many movies where people puke. I'm not a fan of that at all.
0: Yeah, I really didn't like that either. They set it up in a way that telegraphed it. Moments before it happened, I looked away from
1: the screen. I know what's going to happen. I don't want to watch it. It is funny, actually, in I Love You, Man, when Paul Rudd projectile vomits onto John Favreau. And they do the drinking game where it goes four guys. So one guy chugs a beer, then the next, then the next, then the next. And then because he just chugged two draft beers, blah, all over Favreau. But that is not telegraphed. Okay, that was funny.
0: (laughs) I'll take your word for it. But I'm not a fan of that kind of stuff, generally. The setup the scene was actually kind of funny because it was a team that we didn't know. It was at the Nationals. We're right? mm-hmm. just
1: so seeing various characters from various cheerleading teams. The
0: captain trying to pump up one of the team members. All right, be confident or be happy. Smile, mm-hmm. smile. And she's like, I'm ready. I'm ready. And then just yaks all over her. I would have appreciated it if the yakking just
1: happened off screen.
0: You see her getting sick and running off screen or something like that rather than projectile vomit right in the...
1: Funny moment in Days of Thunder when Tom Cruise can't handle that Michael Rooker has got all these problems because... Cruz's character doesn't want to have the same problem himself. So he leaves the room and you hear the toilet flush. And Rooker says, did you just go there and puke? No. (laughs) Yes. But you know he did. That is a well handled Mm -hmm. same idea, but done a little bit better. Mm -hmm. So anyway, the big competition. And in the end, the right team wins. The Clovers do win the black team. And kudos to all the actors, or at least the stunt people, and I guess both, for being really convincing and good. Again, we don't know anything about cheerleading, but it seems like they're doing it pretty damn well, except they wouldn't be able to do these things. In fact, some of the dismounts and some of the things they do disqualified right on the spot. I think they maybe even literally stop the routine and say, that's it, you're done. Really? But it's Hollywood, and most people never know that. I read that online. I would have never have known that if I hadn't read it. <laughs> do you know
0: what it was that was happening that would have disqualified them on the spot? I think
1: some of those pyramid-type things when people are at least 10 feet in the air, maybe even more, oh. and then dismount from there. For safety reasons. Yeah, was, exactly. Okay, I see. Because yeah. don't forget, these are kids. They're just young teenagers.
0: I didn't realize there was a differentiation as far as what you could do at the high school level versus college or above. Some of the stuff you see on ESPN at least the college-age people doing the cheers and the dismounts and stuff without any equipment or safety netting or anything like that. No pads. No pads. I guess the floor is probably padded to a certain degree, but even so, you fall 10-plus feet. You're going to get hurt. You're going to get hurt. It's just insane to me. And this is, I think, maybe a little bit intentional, but when the football players are ragging on the cheer team, the guys get ragged on, right? The women, I guess it's expected in the States, you are cheerleader, or whatever. All the guys are getting ragged on by the football players. Dude, they're doing stuff that is probably as dangerous as what you're doing on the football field and doing it more successfully and probably getting a lot more in with the women of the school, quite frankly, yeah. than, than you are. I thought it was well shot, but I think you've got to be crazy if you're a parent in the States and you're encouraging your kids to do this as a social activity. It's yeah. like, holy shit, concussion incoming.
1: So dad. maybe it's more gymnastics than it is cheerleading, and that's what Missy wants to do. We get the Hey Mickey, so it's Hey Mickey, you're so fun, you so, That song, which was in Wayne's World, Bev and I covered that a few months ago. That's during the end credits, where we see all the blunders and outtakes, and usually that's a bad sign, because this movie's not that funny, for us at least. Not a good sign in this either. But it is fun seeing people out of character, I guess.
0: But what did you think about the way the movie ended its arc? The correct team as far as the audience views it. The Clovers, I think is the yes, team, Clovers, name, right? Yes, Clovers, yeah. They should have won because for years they were the ones creating all the routines that the Meat Ranch Toros <laughs> were stealing to win the national titles. We kind of saw it with Ball, in that you have a team at the top of their game and you're following them as they try to retain that spot. It's not the up-and-comer who's trying to dethrone the champ. It's not the comeback story or it's not the underdog. The Toros who have won five years in a row, even the good girl character of Kirsten Dunst reiterates time and again when she's trying to pump up her team and get them on board with her, we defined ourselves and held ourselves up as being the best. Now let's go be the best on our own merits instead of being the best by stealing somebody else's routines, even if we were doing it inadvertently because our prior captain was doing it without our knowledge, whatever the case may be. And we
1: want that team to be in the Nationals because we want to beat the best. We don't want to win by default because they weren't there.
0: Yeah, exactly. And at no point was there any indication that the Toros as a group were coming to any kind of realization about what it really means to be a team or be a part of this sport or whatever the case may be it's always been we have to be the best the best is who we are let's go be the best and then they finish second and rightfully so as you said and they start cheering
1: each other like yeah that's as good as winning because they won legit i think that's what it is and because at that point Torrance and missy as well have started drilling into them that let's be as good as we can be second best is still pretty good I know the message that the movie was going for is be the best that you can be.
0: It just felt unearned to me. Out of the blue, the expectation is that as far as tropes go, they would still win.
1: Driven, 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 don't settle. And at the end, we settled. Hey, we settled. and We're okay, happy about yeah. it. Maybe it happens off screen. Well, then again, that's because this movie isn't the greatest movie <laughs> in the world. You're criticizing something that probably should be criticized. I want is... a flawless arc <laughs> and a flawless
0: story development for uh, all of our main characters, Ryan. I don't care. In if a it's...
1: cheerleading comedy with two young stars, who are not even 20 years old in it. Although they're both good actors, especially Dunst, who's gone on to do some great things like we talked about. Listen, if I can't be pedantic about these things, Ryan, then why am I even here? Exactly. I think that's what podcasts are for. Pen- so so, yes, I think so. Well, otherwise, it's just a review. We could write it online and post it anytime we want to, and people could read it, and that would be the end of it. But when you talk about all kinds of angles and issues that are not the obvious ones, especially when we have reasonably good questions, which I've had with you a few times, lots of times with Bev, including earlier this week on Spider-Man 2, that's what podcasts, I think, are for. Fair. So can you score? And although it's never been my particular fetish, Pretty Girls in Cheerleader Outfits is a surefire way to induce desires to sex it up. For most people, I guess. And it is nice to look at these... And then again we're saying it's wrong isn't it because they're so young yeah I feel so i always... to retract that we can't score <laughs> <laughs> others can who are 17 or 18 yeah. years old it would be socially unacceptable for us to score at this movie right that's a good way of putting it it's funny because murder ball two weeks ago you wouldn't have thought that'd be a movie where you'd talk about sex like we did but they talk about it so much and now here's a movie where you've got ostensibly better looking people but we really shouldn't look at it that way so yeah. we'll end that point right there how was your beer the beer was not as punky as i thought it would be okay. it was
0: about as White bread as the Toros team was.
1: Hey, Punky, you're not fine. You're not fine. You didn't blow my mind. Hey, Punky. Hey, Punky. Exactly. Exactly. Okay, in two weeks, the Major League Baseball regular season will be resuming after the All Star break, so we should cover another baseball movie. The perfect choice right after the Midsummer Classic has got to be the 35 year old Robert Redford flick, and one of the ones you wanted to do when you first asked me about doing this podcast, Mm -hmm. The Natural one of the great music scores of all time, or at least one of the great music themes of all time. Bev is very happy that she's not doing this movie with me, and I wouldn't have insisted on doing it anyway. But then again, if you and I hadn't been doing this sports podcast the past year, then we would have done, she and I would have done a baseball movie going into the regular season. And I might have wanted to do this or Field of Dreams with her because of the anniversary thing, 30 years, Field of Dreams, 35 of The Natural. But I'm glad we're doing it together because this is definitely going to be one of those man movies. And Redford, who's too old for the role, is pretty good in it. (laughs) But we'll talk about all that in two weeks when we're in mid-July, when hopefully it's finally warm and you're not wearing a sweater in my basement, yeah, and hopefully. long pants for that matter, and socks.
0: Yeah, I look forward to getting really dorky about baseball with that one. I don't think we really did too much when we did Field of Dreams. I was more of like an emotional heartstring mm-hmm. tugger than it was. But I do feel kind of bummed out now that I may have deprived Bev of the opportunity of watching movies like Angels in the Outfield. <laughs> don't feel like you guys
1: can't talk about that just because we talked about it. She's right? more than happy. <laughs> we would never have covered that anyway. You and I did, but she wouldn't have wanted to at all. We're on Stitcher. We're on Spotify we on Apple Podcasts. We're on top projectcom You can find us in so many places. Maybe eventually we'll be on YouTube or a different website. Meantime, take her easy, dudettes. <laughs> I know it. that you will. <laughs> I can't do a lady's voice.
0: Uh.